Amen. Before we jump into the message today, I want to welcome all of our new members at all three of our campuses. And so we want to put their picture up on screen. On the screen, it'll just kind of go uh, every two or three seconds. And then as we do that, I want to share a quick story about one of our new members. Here's what, it, here's what she said. I always knew Jesus as a child, but never knew much about him or the Bible. While attending service during a rough time in my marriage, the pastor said if anyone needs prayer to stay in their seat and someone would come and pray with them. The woman who came asked me what I needed, prayed for, and I told her my marriage was falling apart. She stated, God brought me to you today because I am able to help married couples. From that day forward, I became more and more involved in the chapel and turned my heart over to Jesus. I went, I went from self-serving to someone who loves to serve others. She actually was here the first service, and she came up to me. I didn't know whose story it was because they sent me the stories without a name. And just to see what's going on in her life and in her husband's life is truly incredible. So can we just say uh, congratulations and welcome to our new members. If you're interested in joining the chapel, uh, we have membership classes oftentimes in the fall, and we'll let you know uh, in plenty of time to make sure that you can attend one of those. As we jump into the message today, I want to tell you a little bit about Carl Barth. Carl Barth is one of the most well-known 20th century theologians ever. He has written extensively. He has spoken all over the world. And he was at a conference in Chicago, and he was being interviewed. And they basically asked Barth, they said, hey, what is the most profound thing you've ever discovered as you studied theology? Now, this guy has many, many letters after his name. He knows Greek and Hebrew and Latin and all of these different uh, languages. And so you're expecting him to just give this profound statement of what he has learned. And he stopped and he looked at the people and he said, here's the most profound thing I've ever learned. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Of all the things this guy could talk about, he said, it's God's love that I know. I've discovered that through the scriptures. Do you believe that this morning? That God loves you? Not only does God love you, which we probably think he has to love us, he's God, but actually God likes you. Sometimes when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm thinking, how could anybody like me, specifically God? Yet he really likes us. And to discover more about that, that's why we're in this message series that we've called Gentle and Lowly, based upon the title of the book by Dane Ortland, and hopefully you are reading with us, where we're diving into how do we know that God is for us? How do we know that not only does he love us, but he also likes us? And so hopefully you're reading along. If you are wondering, how do I read along in your welcome program, there is a section that tells you what we'll be reading next week so you can read with us. But it's such a profound book. And so, so far we've looked at the topics of how Jesus is always for us, how we know that Jesus meets us in our sinfulness. And today we want to look at how Jesus is our friend and our companion, that he loves us, that he's with us. How do we know that for sure? Now, oftentimes when I think of friends, especially now in our culture, it seems diluted because of Facebook. People have Facebook friends. I recently went on. I never pay attention to how many friends I have because I don't think it's a popularity contest. But if it is, I have over 3,000 of them. 
And you see that, and I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. But then I started to look at my, the list of people. I bet you 80% of them, I'm like, who are these people? I don't even know who they are. Even in friendships in our culture today, it seems like we say we have a lot of friends. We may text people. We may have them followers on Instagram or friends on Facebook. But to me, in my own life, I could probably count on one hand the friends that I could call upon if I'm in the hospital or I need something with my kids or something's going on in my marriage. I need someone to listen to. Like That's what a true friend is. And that's what I love about the Gospels and how they're describing Jesus. He's not just some friend that's out there that you're scrolling on your list. You're like, who is this person? No, he truly is our companion and our friend. And one of the ways that Jesus is referred to as friends, especially in the Gospels, found in Matthew, but it's not a title that he gave himself. It's a title that someone gives him. And it's interesting how Matthew puts it. Matthew 11, verse 19. I have to drink a lot of water today. I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice here. It says, the son of man feasts and drinks. And you, you meaning the religious leaders of the day, you say... He's a glutton and a drunkard, and there's our word, friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Interesting that the religious leaders of the day are following Jesus, they're seeing who he's interacting with, he's hanging out with people who are tax collectors and sinners, and they call him friend, but not like friend, like, wow, that's so great that you're friends with them. No, it's a derogatory thing. Like, you're friends with these people? Do you not know what they do? Do you not know how they live their lives? Do you not know that they don't have a relationship with God? Like, how can you be friends with somebody like that? These religious leaders who call themselves the religious leaders of the day, they know the scriptures, they pray, all these things. Jesus is like, look, you don't know what you're talking about. You've missed the very heart of God. See, this word friend is found 29 times in the New Testament. It's the word phylos. And phylos is simply translated as friend. And if you see the first four letters of that word, it spells Phil. Philadelphia. What is that called? The city of brotherly love. Philanthropy. What is that? The love of people. Benevolence. So we see that in this term, we get these terms of Philadelphia and philanthropy. What it's, we understand it now, but what does it mean in the scriptures? Well, it meant friend, but more than that, it meant someone who was a friend, and they sacrificed themselves in order to be friends. It wasn't people on the outer circle who call themselves friends, but they don't really show up when you need them. No, these are the people that are there. These are the people that are in the boat with you. These are the people that are like family. These are the people that sacrifice That's the kind of friend that the Bible talks about when it talks about this word. And it's oftentimes associated with Jesus. He is known as the friend or the phylos of tax collectors and sinners. Now, if you're paying attention here, you say, okay, he's a friend of these people, but why does Matthew put him in two different categories? Why do the religious leaders say, okay, you're hanging out with sinners and these awful tax collectors? Well, the tax collectors, they were in their own bracket, their own category. They didn't even belong with sinners because tax collectors were the worst of the worst. If you know anything about the Bible and you know anything about tax collectors, you know that these people were Jewish people and they turned on their own family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, to be a tax collector, to collect taxes for the Roman Empire. 
These were the enemy in the day. These guys sold out to the enemy, turned their backs on their family and friends so that they could become rich. And what happened is these tax collectors, they would go to a door and they'd you'd open the door and flanked on either side would be someone that had a weapon and said, hey, I need you to give me this money. And if you didn't give it to them, well, you're going to get beaten for it. And so here, this guy, he is known in the community. He's a family member. He's a friend. He was in school with them. And now there he is collecting taxes for the Roman government. And then he could charge extra and take some of that. He was stealing from his own family and friends. And what is Jesus to a tax collector? What is Jesus to a sinner? Someone who is outside of a holy life that God expects of you and me. What does Jesus do? He is a phylas. He's a friend. Not a friend that's on the outside. Not someone you're looking at. I don't even know who this person is on Facebook. It's someone who's on the inside. Someone who associates themselves with these people to the point where he would do anything for them. And the religious leaders knew that. They thought it was wrong. But Matthew didn't think it was wrong. In fact, Matthew knows that Jesus is a true friend to him because before Matthew followed Christ, he was a tax collector. One of my favorite stories of all of Scripture, we see not only does this Matthew have an encounter with Jesus, but then what happens afterwards is fascinating. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I want to read this passage to you. It is so good, so profound, and it's one that I think of often even in my own walk with Jesus. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, Matthew not only gets up and follows Jesus, he gets up, follows Jesus, and leaves behind his old life. He has given up this life where he has protection from the Roman government. He is wealthy and well-off. And he says, I don't want it anymore. I want to follow Jesus. So later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, which it's kind of funny because if you think about it, Matthew is rich. Matthew buys this house. And some of these disciples are going to this house. How does he get this money? Well, by ripping off his own people. I'm wondering if some of these disciples, Matthew ripped off, and now they are in the home of this guy who is this traitor. And there they are in the midst, and there's Jesus. How ironic is that? Matthew invited Jesus' disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, because that was Matthew's friends. Matthew didn't have friends that were Jewish, friends that were living for God, friends with religious leaders, because he, he turned his back on them. So the only people that wanted to hang out with him were other people like him, tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus said, invite all your friends. And when the Pharisees saw this, the religious leaders of the day, they asked his disciples, are you kidding me? Why does your teacher eat with such scum? And Jesus, he's really awesome. He knows exactly what to say. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor, you idiots. They didn't say idiots. That's my translation of that, by the way. <laughs> but sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but know 
They are sinners. Had a fourth birthday party for my daughter, Remy, yesterday. Invited family over. And when I'm hosting a party, especially with little kids, we had like tons of little kids. My whole goal is to get the cheapest food, because I'm a cheapskate, and lots of it, so no one complains, and then feed them as fast as I can so that they go back down the basement and hang out with their cousins so the parents can have some peace. Any amen in this room from some parents? I see some parents die, like, yes. So we had Little Caesars pizza, cheap, lots of it. I'm throwing pizza. Who wants more? Who wants more? Okay, are you done? Okay, go down the basement. <laughs> that was our dinner party yesterday. But that's not what Jesus' dinner party was when he was hanging out with these disciples and these tax collectors and sinners. For a dinner party in Jesus' day, it was like an all-night affair. And they didn't have a table. They leaned on their elbow, hanging out with other people, eating the food that was there. They were close, and they shared life with each other. It wasn't just, hey, let's eat and get you out so we can go and watch Netflix after that. You know, like, let's go and get out of here fast, put my comfies on and whatever. No, no, it was an all-night thing, sharing life on an elbow. Who was Jesus with? Tax collectors and sinners. Not the religious people. Jesus didn't like hanging out with them. He liked hanging out with people who knew they needed him to be his friend. He liked hanging out with people that even though they were far from God, they recognized that though I'm far from God, this guy says he's God and he treats me with respect and he accepts me as I am. I want to have dinner with him. And they're just hanging out, loving each other, being with each other, sharing life with each other, being phyloses with one another. Well, the religious leaders are so stuck in thinking that you have to obey the law and do all these rituals to have a relationship with God. They miss God himself in Jesus. In fact, he asked the question to these disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Like, Jesus, you say you're God? You're holy? You're perfect? You know the scriptures inside and out? You know the rituals? Great. Why aren't you acting like it? And Jesus is like, what do you mean? Don't you know why I came? You have read about me for a long time. Don't you know that what you read was pointing to me? Don't you know that I want those who know as a doctor to heal the sick? Only those who know they have a problem go see a doctor so they can be healed and fixed and healthy. Jesus, like these people right here, yeah, they have a bad reputation. Yeah, what they did before they came to this dinner was awful. They don't have a good reputation amongst people in the community. But I really like them. And I like to be their friend because they know what they have in me is someone who fully accepts them as they are. They don't have to clean up. They don't have to perform. They don't have to hit this high bar, religious leaders, that you've set for them. No, 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 no. I'm with them. I'm drawn to them. I want them. These tax collectors, these sinners, they followed Jesus everywhere he went because when you find a friend that accepts you for who you are, you just really want to be around that person. Now, the religious leaders of the day, they went around where Jesus was too, but they were trying to trap him in order to kill him. But the religious leaders, they just love, or the tax collectors, they just love being around Jesus, their friend. 
We see this, if you, if you go to Luke 15, 1 through 2, we see these tax collectors, these other notorious sinners, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Again, here are the religious leaders of the day saying, what is up with this guy? And here's Jesus saying, I want to be around anybody that needs me, that wants me, and I will be there Friend, I will be in it, and I will do whatever it takes to continue to be in that relationship. And so here's Jesus. He's teaching half the group of people that hate him, half the group of people that are accepted and loved by him and want to hear what he has to say. And so he teaches what the heart of God looks like, and he gives three stories, three famous stories that many of us know we read growing up, especially one of them. The first story, all about a lost coin. The second, all about a lost sheep. The third is about a lost son. We know as the prodigal son. The story goes, this son wants nothing to do with his dad to the point where he says, give me my share of an inheritance. We all know that you don't receive inheritance until someone dies. And so this son is basically like, I want you dead and I want your money now. Father gives it to him. This son, then he goes off and goes to whatever the equivalent of first century Vegas is and he just wastes it all on good living. And then... He looks at his bank account, and it's zero. No one will hire him, and he's hungry, so what does he do? He goes to eat with the pigs. He's that desperate, that low. And so he's thinking to himself, my dad, my dad, my dad. My dad was good enough to give me his share of his inheritance, even though I didn't deserve it. Maybe he is good enough to welcome me home as a servant. I know he won't welcome me home as a son. I mean, I essentially wanted him dead and spit in his face. So, of course, he's not going to come want me to be his son. So, if I just go back and declare that I just want to serve and be a part of his group, then maybe he'll welcome me. If you know the story, the father didn't want him to be a servant. Look what happens in verse 20. He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He was a long way off. Father sees this guy, his son, who turns his back on him, He's a long way off. And instead of saying to his son, come on back and beg for it, and maybe I'll treat you as a servant, maybe I won't, he runs after him. I mean, think about that. We may play with our son's dads and get dirty with them and run with them and throw the ball with them, but back in the first century, you don't run. You were dignified. His dad ran. Because he's full of love and compassion. We have looked at this word compassion all throughout this series and we'll continue to look at it because it's that important. In fact, in our chapel kids ministry, compassion is their word of the month. Compassion is God always making the first move towards us even when we don't deserve it, even when we run away like the son does in the story, what does the father do? He runs towards him. That's what God does in us. That word compassion in Greek is the word splanka. 
That word splanka is where we get the English word spelunking. Does anybody know what spelunking is? Boom. Caves. It's where we get the English word spelunking, which is to go through caves for fun and to discover what is at its depths. So why is that word associated with compassion? Because at the depths of God's character, at the depths of his being, the depths of his heart, we have a God who is known for and is, is compassionate. It's who he is. He is compassionate in that he runs to the, of the son even though he doesn't deserve it. He's compassionate in that he brings him back, welcomes him back as a son, not a servant, as a son throws a party for him, saying, my son is back, he's alive, and I want him to be my son again. That is compassion. It's at the depths of God's soul. Now, I didn't know this. I am not a cave explorer by nature. Pastor Jay told me that many of the caves that have been explored have never been explored to its depths, just like the ocean. You can't discover what's at the bottom of it. No human has ever been there. So attach this to compassion of God. And I think what we can say about that is no matter how much we've discovered God's compassion, you'll never truly discover it. That's a good thing. I wonder if the son says, I knew my father was loving and I knew he was compassionate. He showed me that all my life, but now I discovered even another layer of his compassion that even when I give up on him, he'll never give up on me. He will run after me. Your God does the same thing to you. He always makes the first step towards you. And you may say, I, I don't really believe it. I don't see him doing that. Well, are you making at least a step back towards him? You at least see at least the son went back to the father. You can't just keep running away and discovering if God doesn't love you or not. You have to at least turn back. And when you turn back, the compassionate God wraps his arms around you. He throws a party for you. He is crazy about you. He is your friend. Proverbs tells us that he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I have a very best friend who I tell him this verse all the time. Thank you for being a friend that sticks close to a brother. And he says the same thing to me, but he will also tell you that I am a fickle friend. I am conditional. And he's a Steelers fan, so I'm really conditional in football season. But our God isn't a Browns fan. We all know But our God... Our God sticks closer to you than family. All of us have a messed up family, but at the end of the day, many of us at least have somebody in our family, whether it's a sister or a brother or a mom or dad, a child, a grandchild, that we know, even when I mess up, they're still going to be there. Jesus is closer to you than that. He knows what you've done. He knows who you are. He knows what you did yesterday, just like these tax collectors and sinners probably did. And all Jesus wants to do is bring food to the dinner, lean on an elbow with you, and be your friend. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God not only loves you, but he likes you? He calls you his friend. What a life-changing, incredible thing. 
I love how Dane Ortland puts it in the book that we're reading, Gentle and Lowly. Just a great way of saying this. In Jesus Christ, we are giving a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. Do you know that God enjoys being with you? Not the cleaned up version that you and I put on when we come to church. I'm talking about the version that finds ourselves doing the very things we told God we would never do again, the things that we know would disgust other people. Jesus wants to be that friend with you. So as we close our time together, I want to challenge you with two thoughts. The first is this, allow Jesus to be my friend and my leader. Now, Jesus is our friend, our companion. He is our phylos. He is a servant. He is with us. He will not refuse us. But, as Dane Ortland says in the book, you have to be careful, though, not to over-domesticate Jesus. There was a shirt that people used to wear years ago, I'm dating myself, where it says, Jesus is my homeboy. He is your friend and your best friend, but when we talk about Jesus like that, then we easily forget that he also wants to be the leader of our lives as well. We looked at the book of Revelation this past summer for 16 weeks, and in this, we studied what Jesus had to say to some of the churches, what they were doing well and what they weren't doing well. And when he's speaking to one of the churches, he says, look, you haven't been doing this well. However, he says this, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Many of us, by just accepting Jesus as friend and not the Lord of our lives, we unintentionally push him out of the door. Sure, we want to have a meal with Jesus, but we don't want Jesus to lead us. But Jesus has to be both. Jesus, as a good friend, as a best friend, if he's truly that, not only will he receive you as you are, but he will not want you to continue to live as you are. My very best friend and I have had hard talks because I see who he is and I love him as he is, but there are things in his life, in my life, that I speak into and he speaks into me because we will not accept each other just to settle for less than what God has for us. And that's the same thing with Jesus. He wants you to open the door so he can be the leader of your life and then you can share a meal as friend, but he must be the leader of your life first. And when he's your leader, you discover he's your friend. And when you discover he's your friend, you also want him to lead you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Is he leading you? Is he your friend? Are you dining with him on a daily basis? Who is in charge of your life? Who's around your dinner table? Jesus wants to be. The second is this. Be a friend to someone in the name of Jesus. I think what boggles my mind so much about this story of Jesus with these tax collectors and sinners is that many of these tax collectors and sinners, like Matthew, was still in the game. They were still selling their bodies out to people. They were still living in a way that was completely outside of the holiness of God. Though Matthew gave up being a tax collector, that was that day. <laughs> All of his other buddies were stealing from They still called Jesus for that and were going to do it the next day. But what happened? They still called Jesus their friend. Even these religious leaders said he's a friend to them. 
And what's so beautiful about that, even these people who were outside of the synagogue, outside relationship with God, wanted to be with Jesus because Jesus accepted them as they are. And once they found acceptance, they wanted to follow him. Which means you and I, we need to stand the gap. We need to be Jesus to other people. And we accept people as they are. We may not agree with their lifestyles. We may not agree with their beliefs. Either the Jesus, but he still loved them to the point where they said, who is he? I want to be around him. And many of them left their lives to follow him. So you and I must do that. We must not expect our non-Christian friends to act like Christians. We are Christ followers in their midst, hoping they see our lives of Jesus, they see how we accept them and love them and care for them, and they say, why are you so different? And why at the end of the day, when I need a friend, you're there? And maybe, just maybe, like some of these sinners and these tax collectors saw in Jesus and came to God, maybe through our lives and through our friendship, they will do the same thing. Stand in the gap for Jesus and be Jesus as someone that needs him. See, Karl Barth could have said anything. He could have spoke Latin, Greek, Hebrew. He could have went through all these crazy theological words. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that beautiful? But it's only half the truth. Jesus loves them. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. How are they going to know that truth? Through you and through me. Friendship with Jesus so they can discover friendship with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being my friend. I know as an adult, it's hard to have good, close friends. And yet, Jesus, there you are sticking closer to me than a brother, sticking closer to us than a family member. Oh, Jesus, we hear the knocking on the door of our lives. So many of us push you out of the door so we can live our own lives. Oh God, help us to surrender to the knocking of the door to welcome you in because when we do, we discover unconditional love. Help us to discover that so you can lead our lives. And those in our lives who don't know Jesus, may we be so close to you that the people in our lives want Jesus. We are your plan A to reach people. May we live a life of authenticity with you so they can see an authentic God who loves them as well. For Christ's glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday.